Our next speaker is Dr. Andrew Baldy, and Dr. Andrew Baldy is a trainee in sorry a trainee in paediatric haematology and oncology. He's based at the Royal Children's Hospital, and he has also dabbled in some political science in a past university lifetime. He enjoys microscopes, surprise, political intrigue, and a good quality sitcom. Please welcome Dr. Andrew Baldy. This is a story of blood, of lust, of bloodlust. Not really, it's mainly just about blood. <laughs> but perhaps the last part represents my fascination with the disease, sickle cell disease. This is also the story of the two doctors who first saw these sickle cells under the microscope and how one of them, Dr. James Herrick, pretty much took all the credit away from his hardworking intern, Dr. Ernest Irons. So let me start by saying that sickle cell disease causes immense suffering and early death in millions of people around the world, most of whom have already been dealt a pretty lousy hand in life by being born into poverty and disadvantage. So any light that I make about sickle cell disease is for illustrative purposes only and doesn't represent any disrespect. So basically sickle cell disease is where the red blood cells are shaped like the eggplant emoji instead of the like plump peach emoji. But if we are to be a bit more scientific, sickle cell disease is a genetic disorder um, affecting red blood cells, specifically the haemoglobin molecule inside these cells that carries oxygen around the body. The abnormal protein in sickle cell disease has just one little amino acid building block that's faulty, but it has a result that the whole haemoglobin molecule is dysfunctional and therefore the red cells are less able to withstand stress. And red cells are what, are what are meant to be biconcave discs, which is like a kind of plump emoji. <laughs> <laughs> but the sickle cell, the sickle shape um, reduces the ability of the red cells to carry oxygen, but it also makes the blood vessels more, the blood more thick and viscous. And one of the most common symptoms of sickle cell disease is the vaso-occlusive crisis, where um, there's sudden, severe and acute pain in a part of the body, like the arm or the leg, related to um, poor blood flow. And sickle cell disease affects almost every organ in the body, pretty much by clagging up blood vessels in the brain, the bones, the lungs and other organs. And, interestingly, sickle cell disease was the first known molecular disease. So it was the first time people realised that a faulty molecule or protein was responsible for a disease state. And it was also one of the first known genetic diseases because it has a very recognisable pattern of inheritance. And that was before they really knew about DNA and chromosomes. But before it was all of these things, it was a bit of a mysterious condition that left a couple of doctors in Chicago pretty flummoxed. So back to that guy, Ernest Irons, the intern. Ernest Irons was born in 1877 and grew up in a place called Council Bluffs in Iowa. He had a great passion for bird watching and at the tender age of 17 became the founding member and president of the Iowa Ornithology Association. <laughs> so he was pretty destined to do some great things in his life. Anyway, one day this plucky, binocular-loving four-eyes decided to upgrade to a microscope. 
So he ditched his binoculars and the whistle thing and enrolled in medical school in Rush Medical College in Chicago. He graduated and then got a job as an intern working under Dr. James Herrick, the esteemed physician, and actually even lived with him for a while. I do wonder what medical internship was like back then. Probably not as many uh, night shift Bloody Mary breakfasts if you're living with your boss. Anyway, so the patient. In 1904, a young man named Walter Clement Knoll arrived in Chicago after a long journey from his home in Granada, an island in the West Indies. He'd come to enrol in dental school. And this was a significant thing at that time because there weren't many people uh, who weren't white who were in university and who were studying to become health professionals. But things had changed after the Civil War and with emancipation and attitudes were slowly changing. So Walter started dental training, but then a little way into it became quite unwell. So actually he'd been unwell for about five weeks with um, a cough, um, but a couple of days prior to coming to hospital had some fevers and was feeling quite dizzy. So he saw Dr Irons, the intern, and um, Dr Irons examined him and found he had quite a high fever, he was pale, the whites of his eyes had gone yellow, and he had some strange ulcers on his legs. And when Dr Irons had to listen with his stethoscope, he had a, Walter had a very noisy chest. So Dr Irons and his boss, Dr Herrick, had a number of possible diagnoses. Was it hookworm disease, ground itch, or that disease of so many faces, syphilis? <laughs> they didn't have the words, nor the emoji, to describe what was going on. Maybe the smiley poo one? I don't know. <laughs> Interestingly, from his teenage years, it was reported that Walter had a disinclination to take exercise and would become short of breath with any physical activity. He also had some periods of muscle pain and yellow whites of the eyes. Um, and it all kind of fits with the sickle cell disease that they just didn't know about back then. And Ernest, not his boss, was the one who saw Walter, took his blood sample, looked at it under the microscope and saw the sickle-shaped cells. He sketched them and then showed them to his boss. And then he kept track of Walter, um, visiting his home for a few years, on and off, and seeing him in hospital when he became unwell with um, muscle complaints or um, periods where he was anemic or had a chest infection. And all of those things can be um, attributed to the sickle disease. And then a few years later, Ernest just lost track of Walter. Did he suddenly just succumb to a horrible complication of the disease? No, he just graduated and went back home. <laughs> so Walter moved back to Granada and set up his dental practice. About nine years after, he died in his office and the cause of death was certified as pneumonia after taking a bath and catching a chill. His sister had also died at the age of 24 from pneumonia, and his father died in his early 30s from a kidney disease. Potentially, they both died of complications of sickle cell disease, given how young they were. So Herrick, not Ernest's published case report, was um, in the 1910 Archives of Internal Medicine under the heading peculiar elongated and sickle-shaped cell, sickle -shaped red blood corpuscles in a case of severe anemia. And it begins, this case is reported because of the unusual findings, no duplicate of which I have ever seen described. And it ends by saying, 
No conclusions can be drawn from this case. <laughs> but because of this little case report, James Herrick, and not Ernest Irons, is known as the founding father of sickle cell disease. So who actually discovered sickle cell disease? Was it the intern? Was it the attending physician? But what about those people in Africa? They may not have had microscopes, but African tribes almost certainly had terms for the disease and its symptoms. Various tribes called it Chuwechuwechuwe, or Ahututuo, trust me. <laughs> and the gene for sickle cell disease is thought to date back between 3,000 and 6,000 generations. That's over 150,000 years. And the simple genetic mutation in the gene that causes the disease is thought to have happened separately on a few occasions in different parts of Africa and the Middle East. Why? God, maybe? Maybe randomness? Or maybe that the prevalence of sickle cell disease in areas that's also prone to malaria is not just a coincidence. Malarial parasites need red blood cells as part of their life cycle. And if uh, malarial parasites invade a parasite invades a red blood cell that's prone to sickling, the sickle cell gets chewed up by the spleen and then gets rid of both the red blood cell but then also the parasite. So people with sickle cell disease are pretty protected from malaria but then they also get pretty sick from their underlying disease. So the reason it's thought that the gene became so prevalent is because if you inherit just one copy of the sickle cell gene, you get sickle cell trait, which gives you some protection from malaria without all the symptoms of sickle cell disease. And if, two, if a couple with both who have the sickle cell trait have a baby, that baby has a 50% chance of having sickle cell trait and only a 25% chance of having sickle cell disease. And nowadays it's so prevalent that about a quarter of a million babies are born with the disease every year. And most of those are born in Nigeria. Mortality in teenage and young adult years is about 14% in the US, but in Nigeria it's over 80%. So sickle cell disease was discovered by a couple of white doctors, and this has resulted in a number of medical breakthroughs, only some of which are slowly filtering across to the part of the world with the highest numbers. But whatever happened to those two doctors? Herrick, the boss, went on to discover the myocardial infarction. So that is, he worked out that blockage of the coronary arteries led to a heart attack. I assume it was all his own work. <laughs> and Ernest Irons, the intern, did go on to achieve some fame, becoming president of the American Medical Association, where he apparently rallied doctors against the Obamacare policies of the day, all those socialist policies to subsidise healthcare for those who couldn't afford it. So although Dr Irons may have discovered those sickle-shaped cells and taken good care of um, his first patient, he wasn't in such a hurry to give universal healthcare to all those former slaves. And then one night he was mugged outside his house and thieves stole a sum total of one dollar. And shortly after that, he died of a heart attack. That's right, his boss's other invention. <laughs> and Walter Clement Knoll never lived to know that his was the first documented case of sickle cell disease. Thank you. <laughs>